This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about cancer with Dr. Craig Clifford, who is a good old friend of mine. We were actually intern mates together at University of Pennsylvania, and you guys are in for a big treat to talk to this oncologist. We'll be right back after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about a really important topic, something that's near and dear to me because I lost all my pets this way, and that's about cancer. And today, I'm really excited to be speaking with Dr. Craig Clifford, who's a board-certified oncologist, and he's the director of Blue Pearl Science. We go way back together, gosh, almost 15 plus years ago when we were both doing our internships at University of Pennsylvania. So, Dr. Clifford, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Justine. And believe it or not, we're that old. It's actually 20 years. My that gosh. You, <laughs> I remember it's our scary. overnights together. You were the overnight intern, and you would uh, keep me sane having to deal with all the cases coming in. And I would get to play with your lovely pup. We had the best uh, fight club, if you remember, playing back and forth. We had a lot of fun during those times. I can't believe it's been 20 years. Well, just so our audience knows who you are, I knew you as an intern. Now you're this huge, amazing, awesome medical oncologist. But just give us a little bit of background about who you are, what you do, and how your training is different from a traditional veterinarian. So uh, my uh, veterinary school was at Mississippi State University. And then I did my internship and residency at University of Pennsylvania. After that, I got to work in Red Bank Veterinary Hospital for about 11 years and then had the opportunity to buy into a hospital in Pennsylvania called Hope Veterinary Specialist. And that was a great experience to build a hospital up from the start. And about two years ago, we were able to then sell to Mars. So I'm part of the Blue Pearl Network and the larger Mars Network. Currently, I am one of four medical oncologists at Blue Pearl Mount. Malvern, which is located in Pennsylvania. And I'm also the director of Blue Pearl Science. So I handle all of the commercial clinical trials within Blue Pearl, which is fun. It's definitely been a learning experience because it's not just oncology. I have to do derm and I have to do cardio and all other types of uh, clinical trials. So that has certainly been fun. 
For myself, you know, it was something I always knew I wanted to be in oncology, and I knew that I had to specialize for it. So again, just like you, that was several extra years of school. And after that, though, you know, we're able to do exactly what we want to do. And just like you, I completely love what I do and look forward to it every day. And, you know, oncology is an amazing field in that, you know, the new types of things that are coming out, some of which we'll talk today are just fascinating. And we never would have thought of this 20 years ago. So we're making leaps and strides with it. I, I tease my surgeons, how many ways can you fix a cruise ship, but we're doing gene therapy in the next couple of years. So we're definitely uh, making some strides and happy to be here. You know, I always tell people as much as we try to improve the longevity of our dogs and cats, we always worry. I always worry as both a pet owner and also as a veterinary specialist. I feel like cancer is one of the top three causes of death that I see. And at least one of the top causes of presenting to the ER vet. Most of the time when I see it, it's usually from, you know, deadly, horrible things like internal bleeding, secondary hemangiosarcoma, or, you know, a dog or a cat who hasn't been eating well just for a couple of days. And it's really hard to hear that diagnosis of your pet has cancer. So first of all, do you mind just starting us off and talking about how common is cancer in dogs and cats? Unfortunately, it is incredibly common. You know, the data suggests that you know, one in four dogs greater than 10 and one in three cats greater than 10 will go on to develop it. And some of us think those numbers may actually be underestimating what we actually see. You know, it's a several fold issue as to why it occurs. I think one, we have better veterinarians and better owners. So our pets are living longer. So they're living long enough to develop cancer. Just like in you and I, most of us will develop some form of cancer over the course of our life. For you and I, it's most commonly skin cancer because our parents didn't realize going out and getting fried in the sun was a bad thing. So we're suffering for that this generation now. But in dogs and cats, part of it is that they're living longer. And I think part of it is also, we all love the breeds and I'm just as bad. I have English labs because I love their big head, but really, you know, the best thing is what we call hybrid vigor, which is basically a mutt. Those are the ones, because when we create these breeds, we actually can leave errors in them. And that's what predisposes many of them to the diseases we have. What's really interesting is they had done some research looking at osteosarcoma, which is the most common bone tumor of dogs. And they looked at other large mammals like whales and elephants. And believe it or not, they don't get osteo. But why does our Great Dane, why does our Great Pyrenees get them? And what it comes down to is within our body, we have a check and balance system. And some of these things within our cells are called tumor suppressor proteins. And basically what it means is if the DNA becomes damaged at all, they tell the cell, you need to fix yourself, stop growing, or you need to die. And the challenge that has happened by changing these breeds, because think about it, we went from wolves to dachshunds in what, 10,000 years, the tumor suppressor proteins have not caught up. So mammals such as rhinos or elephants or whales have much more tumor suppressor proteins than many of our breeds do. So to be honest, unfortunately, it's partly our own fault. So interesting. If you told me 20 years ago that dogs and cats would be living longer and longer, even from when I graduated vet school, I do feel like our pets are living longer. But as a result, you're right, I do feel like I am diagnosing cancer more in the ER setting. Now, do you mind just talking briefly about what are the top three cancers in dogs versus cats? Yeah, so dogs, certainly, I would say lymphoma, which is an immune system cancer, is probably number one in both species. It is, for a medical oncologist, represents almost 20% of our caseload for dogs and maybe 15 to 20% of the caseload in cats. 
The next in dogs, I would say, is probably sarcomas. And sarcomas is an umbrella term. So there's many different types. We have what are called typical, which a lipoma actually fits under. And then we have the more aggressive, which is what you're describing that you see on ER, which is hemangiosarcoma, a tumor of blood vessels. And I kind of view that cancer that the tumor is like a water balloon, where the tumor is the balloon and the water is the blood. And what often happens is it gets bigger and bigger. And just like a water balloon, it breaks. And when it breaks, these dogs collapse and come into ER. So you've seen them too many times, unfortunately. I think osteosarcoma is another one, a bone tumor that we tend to see, and it occurs in our large and giant breed dogs. Those would probably be in the midst of some of the top ones, along with maybe mast cell tumors in dogs, which is also an immune system cancer of the skin. And it is very common within certain breeds, such as our brachiocephalic, our pushed-in nose dogs. For cats, I would say lymphoma by far is number one. Mammary cancer, among others, oral cancer, such as squamous cell carcinoma is another one that we tend to see. And that one, unfortunately, is also a result potentially of us. Secondhand smoke is quite common in the development of this cancer in cats. I can't remember if you met Seamus, um, but Seamus was my cat that I had during my internship. And it was the first cat I ever had. And unfortunately, I ended up being diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma. And I remember when I was talking to the dentist, when she quoted me, you know, unfortunately, the average lifespan is about five weeks. And that's exactly what I got. And, you know, I'm very anti-smoke because of the association with secondhand smoke. But even the presence of dental disease, there's some evidence that makes us worry that, you know, untreated dental disease can also predispose towards squamous cell which reiterates the importance of preventative care. There's oftentimes not a lot we can do when it comes to preventing cancer, but there are a few things. And, you know, making sure that your dog and cat have annual physical examinations. And as they get older, making that every six months, uh, making sure your pet gets annual blood work, especially as they get older, making sure that they get dental profies to help minimize the risk of any kind of, you know, secondary inflammation in their mouth or being able to diagnose those masses earlier. Any other hints that you have in terms of prevention? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we tend to go by, there's a, a list of signs that may be associated with cancer. And I think, you know, one of the biggest ones that most owners do not pick up on is weight loss. You know, we tend to think, you know, and I did it with my own dog. We tend to think, well, they're an older dog, they're just not eating as much, so they lost some weight. But any unintended weight loss in an older pet should be looked at. If they're having GI signs or they're more lethargic than normal or any sudden weakness, they should be seen. Any lumps that pop up, they should be looked at. We know that it's very easy for the primary care doctor to simply aspirate them, but they can't do it if they're not brought in. And yes, many of them may turn out to be benign lipomas, but great. It's good to know that. If it turns out it's something else, we want to be on top of it because we need to be able to remove them. And that's one of the challenges, unfortunately, as you know, with cats with squame is we don't catch it early enough to be able to remove it because it's such a difficult location. But many other areas we can. If the dog also has any sores or wounds that are not healing or pigmented masses that are present in the body, those are all things that we should consider seeing them. And I can't stress enough exactly what you said. As the dog gets older, having once or twice a year visits with the primary care is important. Although it's a rare cancer, cancers of the anal sac are something that are commonly picked up by the primary care. And when they pick it up, they're usually small and those dogs with surgery are cured. The good C word, cured. And I can't say that enough that that's because of the primary care. So that's where exactly as you said, I can't say enough that they should be seen once to twice a year. 
And we're actually going to discuss in a couple of minutes a new blood test we have out that may be something to look at for select breeds. Thank you so much. Now, that's really helpful because, again, the more pet owners and veterinarians, veterinary technicians, the more ammunition we have to be able to catch cancer earlier, the more we can do something about it. I did want to ask you, when it comes to referring to a veterinary oncologist, we know that you have the advanced training of an internship and a residency. You had to publish a paper that you're a leader in oncology. How is that different from a veterinarian or a general practitioner in terms of treatment of cancer? Can a family practitioner treat cancer like with chemotherapy? And do you mind just briefly touching on the difference of when you should self-refer potentially to an oncologist? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's a great question, and I think there's not a, a perfect answer for it. I think every specialist is a little different, and I think I've changed over time in regards to how I go about things. I think that there are many cancers that are cured by primary care doctors with surgery. So when I get referred a case to talk to the owner about, say, it's a soft tissue sarcoma or it's a mast cell, I usually say the veterinarian has the right of refusal as to whether they're skilled, they feel comfortable removing it. And if they do, then without question, I have them go back to the primary care for it. Not every case has to be cut by a specialist. In regards to the chemotherapy part, that's where it's a little bit trickier only because the government has now come out with some new guidelines, which are incredibly strict. Even us at a specialty clinic, we had to revamp our oncology room. We had to have a negative pressure system. The room had to be separate where chemo is taken out and where we administer chemo. Plus we use a closed system and all of the nurses are gowned up and that's not something most primary cares have the ability with. So unfortunately, those regulations that have come down may make it harder for primary care doctors to treat. And that's rough because that may mean that some pets are, you know, the owner may not want to refer. They may feel more comfortable with their primary care and it may mean the primary care might not be able to help them. Having said that, though, we do have some new drugs that are out. One is an oral medication named Laverdia for dogs with lymphoma, which I view very much as a primary care drug, which is wonderful. The second is a new mast cell tumor drug called Stelfanta, which is an injectable medication. And I think that's also geared toward the primary care. So I do think, although in regards to chemotherapy, the government regulations may be pushing the primary care out from being able to treat we have a number of other new products that are coming out that I think are more tailored to the primary care than they are the specialist. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. 
Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We've been speaking with Dr. Craig Clifford, and we've been talking about the different types of cancers that dogs and cats get. We've talked about the important common signs that dog and cat owners should be looking out for, from difficulty breathing to not eating to gradual weight loss to even signs like limping. If you notice any open wounds or masses getting bigger, remember, the sooner you diagnose it, the sooner you recognize it, the sooner it should be seen by a veterinarian because then we can do something about it to catch it early. Now, I did want to ask you, I understand that you're the co-chair of the first of its kind, Canine Health and Registry Exchange Scientific Advisory Board. Kind of a mouthful, but the abbreviation for that is called CHARGE. And this is a group that's made up of oncologists and veterinarians. Do you mind just giving us a little bit of information about what this advisory board does? Thanks for bringing that up. I neglected to mention that in the beginning as we were going through everything. But that's part of what we're here for right now is that we are creating and what has been created is a cancer registry. One of the challenges that we have in in veterinary oncology, and this is a sad fact, is because we don't have health care for all our animals as we do in people, in people, we know what is the incidence and what is the prevalence of many cancers. And that's very helpful for the scientists. It's very helpful for the person who gets it. And it's also helpful for the partners in industry. In veterinary medicine, we don't have anything like that within the States. So the challenge for me as a researcher is that I want the drug companies to come in and bring us new products that we can diagnose and treat these types of patients. But for them, they don't understand what the market is because we don't even know what the numbers are. How many dogs truly get cancer in a year? What specific breeds are getting them more than others? So this is actually going to be the first step toward it. So the cancer registry, it's called the Take Charge Cancer Registry, is a big leap forward in this. And we put together a really stockpiled group of oncologists and surgeons making up the board that are above reproach people. And these are the people that are really going to help draw others to moving forward with this. We're in the process of reaching out to some of the larger groups within Marge, such as VCA, Blue Pearl, and Banfield. And basically what's able to be done is they are able to take the medical records, upload them, make them anonymous. So we're not taking any information about the owner or anything other than the strict information regarding the cancer. That then is something that we can then start to build the database of it. So it can be done by the clinicians themselves, and it can also be done by the owners. So if we have an owner that really wants to take part in it, they can help upload their records within it and their pet becomes part of the cancer registry. We can look at what are the top cancers within certain states, because interestingly enough, it does vary from state to state. So there's many things we're going to be able to do with it. And this is the first step is really just getting the word out that we're doing this. And then we're going to start to build up this database. 
Now, the reason why I feel like this is important, because I know there was a recent Gallup survey of over 3,000 pet parents. And what this survey found was that there is a nearly five times greater incidence of canine cancer than human cancer. And more than 80% of the respondents in this Gallup survey believe that there needs to be more treatment to help dogs and, of course, cats with cancer. So with CHARGE, and specifically with this advisory board, what specific data are you looking for that's going to help guide cancer treatment, diagnosis, and even recognition? I think part of it's going to be understanding which cancers are particular in certain breeds, what ages they're getting it, because that's going to help the owner to understand that, okay, my breed often gets cancer above six years of age, not like the average dog, which is 10, it's above six. So maybe that owner is going to be much more cognizant of what we just discussed, the weight loss, limping, sores, lumps, than they normally would because they know that this could be something associated with cancer. So I think from the owner perspective, it's certainly going to be helpful. From the veterinarian perspective, once we start to understand this big data, and that's the important part of big data, that's also going to help us with our partners in industry. That's how we're going to get them to come in. Because we've made strides without question, you know, 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago, they created a comparative oncology branch at the National Cancer Institute, believe it or not. And it focuses on dogs and cats as models for cancer. And I think if we're able to show as what was thought by the Gallup poll, that it is truly much more common in animals than in people. And knowing that they're often models for cancer in people, that's where we're going to have much more interest and we're going to get new drugs, new diagnostics, and that's really going to push the needle forward. So that is part of the goal of the cancer registry without question. Interesting. I don't think most pet owners, human MDs, and oftentimes veterinarians, they often don't recognize that one health approach where a lot of the science between both human medicine and separately in veterinary medicine oftentimes are collaborative. So a lot of times, a lot of the evidence we use in veterinary medicine is extrapolated or pulled from human medicine and maybe vice versa you know, in terms of drug testing or even, you know, some of these research um, drugs that are out there, they're initially started or tested in animals. So, you know, the more information we have, the more data that we have, the more we can work together and be able to have the evidence-based medicine and research behind it, I think is so important. Any last tips you want to leave with us when it comes to cancer in dogs and cats? I, I think that you need to be proactive as the owner. You know, you are the voice of your pet. And I would never just blow something off because of the fact that you feel they may be old or that that's what happens when they get older, they slow down. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. You know your pet better than anyone. And I think it's important to then go in and see your primary care. And you know, I can't stress enough, as you said, to be seeing the vet. We also now, for owners that are very interested, there is now a test called the liquid biopsy test. And basically, it's a blood test that can look for specific signals associated with cancer within the DNA. And the accuracy of it is incredibly high for the top three cancers, it's 85%. And the false positive rate, which means you don't have cancer, but it's telling you you do, is 1.5%, which is incredibly low. So for breeds that are predisposed or an owner that's incredibly invested in it, this is a blood test that your primary care can run it's called Oncocanine, and it's something that you can have done to give you more familiarity and more feel safe that there isn't cancer within your pet. 
You know, I'm glad you brought that up. So with this liquid biopsy, a lot of times when we run routine blood work, and if you don't know what routine blood work is, don't forget on a previous episode of ER Vet, I talked to Dr. Garrett Pachtinger about all the blood work we do in the ER. And that includes a complete blood count and a chemistry panel and a urinalysis test. Oftentimes we'll run these tests and the owner will say to me, well, you just ran several hundred dollars of blood tests and you know it didn't show any cancer. Most blood tests don't actually detect cancer. So routine blood work that looks at like kidney function and liver function and the white and red blood cells, they don't usually show cancer. So the test that Dr. Clifford is talking about is different. This is a specific new test that tests for cancer. And correct me if I'm wrong, is this for lymphoma and hematosarcoma or what specific cancers does it look for? So it actually can look for 30 different types of cancer. So it doesn't tell you the exact type. They're not quite there yet. Just like in people, they're not quite there yet. It basically comes back as, is the cancer signal positive or is it negative? If it's positive, now the next step would be exactly as you said, a further workup, which may be blood work, x-rays, and ultrasound. There's a good chance within the next five years, and this is going to mirror what's happening in people, they're going to be able to break the signal down to be able to say, you have lung cancer, you have bone cancer, you have lymphoma. So you can imagine that's even more so, so specific. So there are two companies that are working on this. One is called PetDX and the other is called Volition, which has a, a different type of blood test, but they're both ones that are out there. And I would strongly encourage the owner to talk with your primary care regarding them. I have no affiliations with either one, so I just support anything that's helping us for down the road. Fantastic information. Awesome speaking to you again and seeing you. And thank you so much for all that you do. I know you're a true leader in oncology. Who would have thought from our intern days back at Penn Vet? But it's so nice to talk to you. Really appreciate all that you're doing. You too, Justine. Always great to see you and happy to help anytime you need me. Thank you so much. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time and we want to thank our guests, Dr. Craig Clifford and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on petliferadio.com.